For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest uh, Mortcast. This is a Mortcast on this one. So uh, today with me, I got a special guest. But before I introduce this special guest, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, obviously, everyone is hopefully trying to stay home right now. Uh, and being safe because we have a whole bunch of COVID positives right now. And uh, my advice to you would be to go uh, to bfwdenver.com and get your so immense selection of California Sonoma County based uh, wines uh, from Flatcher Family Wines. Um, what it, as you know, it's one of my favorite places to go in Denver to get wine. Um, quite frankly, maybe my favorite place to go in Denver. Um, they have Pinot, they got Cabernet, which is my favorite. I got a 2017 Cabernet that I will be drinking tonight with our special guest. Um, and we've got more than that uh, there. They got a Riesling from a Western Slip winery. They basically have anything you want. If you go to bfwdenver.com, they have uh, virtual wine tastings which are very popular and I really highly suggest you get in now because sometimes it's months out that you have to book that thing. Um, they are on Facebook and Insta Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. Today, i got a special guest with me. Uh, tonight, I normally record my Gen X music show, but uh, due to some unfortunate circumstances, we had to, uh, to cancel it for this week, but they will be back next week, hopefully. Uh, but uh, kindly stepping in and helping me out tonight is uh, a man who was just on the podcast a couple of months ago, but he decided to make a triumphal return. Uh, it's my friend... TJ McBride. Hello, TJ. Hello. Triumphant return. In the day and age of COVID-19, to triumphantly return to anything is a great feeling. So I am happy we are here. I'm happy you have your wine, and I am happy I have a little bit of my whiskey, and let's talk about some hoops. Yes. Um, we've got some things to talk about. In fact, there is something that came out. In fact, I, we'll just start right into it um, because everyone knows TJ. Um, did you see, did you happen to see the article in Billboard magazine about what Ticketmaster is trying to do uh, in order to have people in their uh, audiences next year? 
It is no. a basically a content. You won't be allowed into a venue if you buy a ticket. If you haven't had a vaccine or if you haven't had a negative test within the first, uh, within 72 hours. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> the amount of mental gymnastics that it takes to figure out how on earth that would even function is so beyond me. I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but I actually used to work in the music industry. I used to do some tour managing and things and book shows in Denver a little bit and things along those lines. The, the none of that is ever organized. Yeah. Like people who are setting up these venues and shows, regardless of how much Ticketmaster is involved, they're not going to be sitting there temping you and making sure you had your test notarized in the past 72 hours. Like bouncers can't even figure out what IDs are functional at the door half the time. Like what are we pretending that Ticketmaster has this like beautiful, amazing gold book of how to deal with COVID-19 for concerts? Like I, it is so beyond me. Well, it is one of those things they were going to try to get around the HIPAA thing with uh, HIPAA laws, which is medical privacy. Yeah. Um, by uh, using a third-party app to determine whether you've had a vaccine or uh, a um, I didn't even think about the HIPAA uh, part negative uh, test. And here's the deal: Look, I, I get it, but moving from concerts, I have been told that there are people in sports leagues who are very, looking intently at what Ticketmaster is doing because they desperately want fans back. And it's going to be interesting to see how this progresses because there's a reason these articles come out. It came in Billboard, which is uh, like the official magazine of the music industry. And uh, it didn't come out for no reason. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been told that they're watching people in the leagues, uh, all the sports leagues, not just the NBA, all the sports leagues are watching this to see if it uh, is possible to do something. Well, Sham Sharania's report for The Athletic, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, it runs adjacent to this where they talked about how particular markets who are going to have fans, if they're going to be within the first 30 rows of the court, need to be able to turn in a negative COVID test before arriving to the arena and the people who are going to be in suites need to be able to be separated. They are putting in the the similar safeguards, quote unquote safeguards here into effect to try and make it work. So it's not surprising to me that They are looking at this in actuality with Ticketmaster to see how it's going to impact them. But my question is, who's really going to a concert before basketball season starts? Like, where is this data sample going to come from? That's the part that I don't see. But because, again, you know, we're not even how far away are we right now? We are 40 days from NBA basketball regular season, not even preseason. So the idea that we can collect a data sample that's enough to be able to pull anything away from substantially from Ticketmaster's own way of doing things during this time is a farce to me. And I get the idea of like, we need as much information, but like, we know what we need to know. We need to not have fans. And that's always going to be my stance until the numbers come down. Yeah. And I think, I think without getting into, I mean, we could talk about, you know, politics on this, because I do have a politics show, but mm-hmm. there is a, there is a, uh, um, something that's going to affect all sports leagues is that if we had the infection is far too widespread right now. We had mm-hmm. 5,000 positive tests mm-hmm. in Colorado today. I mean, yeah. that is insane. And I think that 
you have to get the infection rate down in order for you to even think, even just even remotely think, even with a vaccine, to uh, have fans in there. And and what I've been worried about, and this is goes once again to sports, is like we're both credentialed media people. Yeah. Um, how how would this affect us as credentialed media people? Would they allow media in in there? Would we be you know? I could provide a little bit of insight into this because I've been looking into this myself because, you know, we are so close to the season starting. But mm-hmm. the initial plan is that there's going to be a very small media contingent to start out because right now Colorado doesn't allow that many people to be in one area. So like just in terms of the Colorado yeah. health standards, you can't eclipse a lot of these numbers. With that being said, even if we are in the arena for the first part of this, it is going to be all Zoom. Like, even if you're there, they're not bringing anybody down to the event level to interview people in person unless they have COVID testing that has been taken place. Yeah. My assumption and the, the, the educated guess that I can make based on the conversations I've had is that they're going to treat in-person media very similarly to how they did in the bubble. They're going to have to have whoever they work for or themselves take on the cost of testing daily to be able to prove that they are, without a doubt, quarantining safe and not sick so that they can be within these parameters of these individuals on the physical level so uh, that's what it's looking like we'll have to just play with it as we go no one knows i mean that's the one thing i've realized talking to people no one has any idea how a non-bubble environment is going to work for basketball in a COVID environment no one has any idea all right well and particularly indoor arenas smaller uh, indoor arenas um obviously they would want people obviously to attend it in fact if people anyone who was paying attention um, would know that in his end of season um, statement or presser yeah. or whatever, uh, Adam Silver said, I look forward to having fans back in the yeah. stands. And that was one of the reasons a lot of people were say, thinking March. And yep. in, in a very large sense, the NBA probably would have been smarter mm-hmm. to start in March or April when the vaccine starts to spread throughout the country. Um, but the problem is for them uh they don't want to complete with the olympics even if i mean what the ludicrous thing with me with this tj is like who knows if the olympics are going to be even happening i'm with you jeff i'm with you like europe currently is an a similarly disastrous situation as us anyway like i'm not going to sit here and say who's better or worse like it doesn't matter hundreds of thousands are dying Mm -hmm. but they're nowhere better than we are right now so like the idea that the global community can come together to have an olympic village Like, that's crazy to me. Um, And the other thing that I look at, so today there was a um, a tool that was put out by the Georgia Institute of Technology that basically shows um, how – it gives you a percentage – um, chance that there is somebody in a crowd that has coronavirus yeah. in Denver right now, and with a group of 25 people, there is a 70% chance one person in that 25 group of people has coronavirus right now. Wow. Like, there is no chance that you should be having fans in the arena with how no. this is working. None. Zero zilch. It is completely out of the question for me. And the fact that they're trying to do this just to save money, like, this is all about money. The reason they're coming back on the 22nd is to get the Christmas revenue. Like yeah. Anybody who's fooling themselves about that is wrong. And the only reason the players agreed to it was because they were going to lose a whole lot of money as well. So we're nowhere near ready having fans in just from a pure number level like that's a disaster you can't walk into a bar without you know 70 percent chance that somebody in that bar has coronavirus right now in denver county right 
and I live in Adams County, and Adams County is a shit show right now. Yep. And um, you don't, you don't, you just don't know. And that's the, the the nefarious part of this thing is because people can be walking around with coronavirus, never get sick, but they could spread it. And it's the problem. And these are super spreader environments. Like this is the reason that they canceled concerts as one of the very first thing they canceled in our original stay at home order in May. So like the idea that like the Pepsi center has suddenly been altered on some gigantic level to allow this to happen when things are three times as worse as they were is insane to me. Ball arena. We got to ball, whatever, man, (laughs) I don't care where the Denver Nuggets and Avalanche play their respective sports. I don't care anymore. Look, I (laughs) I have said Pepsi Center so often the last two weeks. It's insane. It's hard to retrain your brain. When I remember when uh, Pepsi Center first came in, I was calling it McNichols Arena. I, I, I was calling it Big Mac. And they were like, no, no, Big Mac doesn't exist anymore. I'm like, okay. That's They're right. shedding Pepsi like crazy, man. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but I was on one of my sanity walks, as Mason Plumley calls them. And yeah. I wandered by Pepsi Center. The mountains with the Pepsi logo in it in front of Pepsi Center is gone. <laughs> like, they're, like, they're all in on eliminating the idea of Pepsi being involved with that facility. And it oh happened God. fast, man. You know what? The, the unfortunate thing is there's, in the media lounge, they're still going to feed us uh, Pepsi and uh, all its all its subsidiary offshoots um spit out my whiskey all of a sudden talking about the media room again media, yes <laughs> this is true and who oh. knows if we're ever going to get there but the, the, that one that's one of the reasons i kind of wanted to start off with the Ticketmaster thing because there's some level of uh look i have i'm under no illusions that i will get an email from nuggets pr saying that i will be part of the people who are invited to cover the team at, mm-hmm. at uh, ball arena i quite frankly am fully expecting it not to happen because uh who knows if even the the post will be able to get into it it is it may be we may be in a state of arrested development until the vaccine yeah. spreads through the country and honestly it is going to be weird uh this yeah. this last year was weird this year is going to be even weirder Mm-hmm. And more disastrous for the bottom line. Like this right. is the thing that people need to realize too. The losses that were taken in last season from the hiatus, that is going to be chump change yeah. compared to what the NBA is walking into right now. And that is, and this is the thing that doesn't, it's not going to impact the salary cap. They have already negotiated all that yada, yada, yada owners who lose money do not spend more money. So like that fact is going to debilitate the NBA anyway. So that, that this is why I don't understand it. This is why I don't understand the rush to get back you're not going to recoup enough of these losses to make a gigantic impact anyway Mm -hmm. so why don't you wait till march come back to where you have a situation to where you can have fans and you can actually get back on that trajectory right now they're half-assing both options and they're not going to get anything out of it no and 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 right now i think that did you did you see some of the things that they were uh, talking about uh, proposing to get to kind of increase the revenue and one of them was hard alcohol did you see that I did see that. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and you're drinking JMO right now. Yes, and, I am. <laughs> and I'm like, so what nuggets uh, get sponsored by Stranahan's or something like that? <laughs> Is there something here that I'm I don't think? Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, what are you doing? Are you going to just like push shots on people all night long? Like, are you just like going to like hire the pushiest car salesman, like bartenders you can find? They, like, I, just, I don't get this because like and again they start talking about they're gonna have in arena entertainment 
they're gonna have like a dunk squad. Like what are we like? What? <laughs> like the, the logistical hurdles to understand why that is a priority. Okay, and we the funniest part. We don't James had 280 characters, and he included that part in his tweet. Like, it was some, like, super important addition to the overall right. conversation. We don't need to see Skeeta on the junk dunk squad. No, uh, man. Okay. Uh, we, we do, that dude's we need, tall, though. He is very tall. Um, and he's been doing it for a long time. I've been covering the Nuggets. I need to meet him. I have been covering the Nuggets for a, 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 a millennia at this point, and uh, he has been there the entire time I've been there. So The, Bri- the Brian Shaw era feels like 1886 right now, so I feel you on that one. Well, when, I see when I started covering with George, uh, he was there. Uh, through Brian Shaw, he was there, and Michael Malone. He's been wow. through uh, every era. He's the longest-standing Denver Nugget. He is. He, by <laughs> far. Well, no, other than, other than Rocky. Uh, who is, other than Rocky and other than Bobby. Yes, Bobby. And, and, and Bobby, and Bobby. Bobby um, is eternal. And uh, um, uh, the equipment guy. Um, Sparky. 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 And Sparky. Okay, Sparks. Um, Sparky. Sparky used to – everyone in the Nuggets likes to give Sparky a hard time, like the t- yeah. in a good naturedly in a hard time. But um, My favorite thing is that Sparky always throws it back. I've never seen somebody who looks so docile and just throws it right back at professional athletes with absolutely no care in the world. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Shout oh, yeah. Sparky. Oh, yeah. And, and you could tell Nicole Jokic loves him. Um, oh, loves him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let, maybe we should get into some actual meat and potatoes here. Um, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's not a lot of meat, meat, meat <laughs> and potatoes right now. Well, but the draft is in like a few days. So there okay. is some meat and potatoes. Yes. So, yeah, you need to do TJ teach, teaches Jeff about the draft oh, because, because, you know, uh, let me tell you something, dude. Um, only thing I know about this draft is it's full of role players. And mm-hmm. it's very – and uh, there was a report that came out. Who had the report that the Nuggets were looking to move up into the top ten? Uh, the Nuggets, you mean? The yeah. Nuggets move up in the top ten? Singer did. Mike Singer had that report. Okay. And I can also confirm that. I've heard okay. the same. All right. So I, 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 I talked about this on – yeah, that's right. He did because I talked about it on the radio program with uh, Nate Lundy. And – the only reason I could think that this would happen, this is just me speculating, informed mm-hmm. speculation, is that they were looking to sweeten their draft pick for a potential trade because it mm-hmm. serves them absolutely no purpose to go to get a, a higher pick in because when they already have to develop Michael Porter Jr., right? So it, it, it's like it, if you, the, the more rookies there you get – There are levels to it, though. They, yeah, they're the, going to need a – to fill time this season because let's be honest the Cronkies aren't excited to go into the tax they're going to need somebody who can help for cheap so uh, this might actually be more important than it thinks ah uh, but the tax penalties are a lot lower this uh, for the I next know. three years i know, I know. so I, know. I i as i pointed out on my last uh, mortcast uh the Cronkies excuses for not going into the tax they're have dwindling been diminished, <laughs> So there is that, but I, I don't see it because what, what happens with a rookie is, uh, and this is just the way I've always in, in, interpreted it, is like a rookie inevitably due to their own need to be developed, particularly with as young a player as that has come into the league now, 
-hmm. you get in there. You, you rarely get guys who are ready to contribute at a championship level. And the Nuggets need championship players right now. Well, that's why this draft is so unique, though. There are so many role players. And this is the thing. This is one thing that I've started to shift about my draft approach to players. I'm not looking for singular skills. I'm not looking for what they're great at or what they're bad at. I'm looking for a combination of skills that translate. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the one who taught me this. He can change speeds on a dime. He's like a Ferrari flipping through 14 gears. It's incredible. But his finishing ability and size compared with that, those things combined, that's what allowed him to immediately come into the NBA and make an impact despite being a rookie. So with that kind of a mindset with that kind of approach there are a handful of guys who could help denver right away in this draft uh denny avdija could help help right away if they are trying to trade in the top 10 and he falls rj hampton is a little bit more of a question um the mental approach to rj hampton's game is very much so a source of contention um but even beyond him jalen smith might be a guy that they can get at 22 jalen smith is a project but he's ready to defend three to four positions right now he is already able to hit set three-point shots, and he does not turn the ball over. So, like, you have a guy with a collection of skills that will help you in a 13-minute burst right now in this draft. And that's where I start looking for Denver. I don't disagree with you that this could just be trade capital to go get Drew. There's 100% on the table, in my opinion. But there is also a reality which they're trading up because they identify a guy who can help right now at a position of need that they can get for cheap. The other part of this that I thought about, this is getting a little little bit more 4D chess here, but – Let's just work with the Cronkies don't like to spend money because that has been more often than not the, you know, the consensus. You can then trade Gary Harris and your own pick to move up, save money, and then find a way to then better yourself while also not going further and further into the tax. So you can equally save money and get better potentially by moving up in this draft. I don't know if it will work out that way, but there is a reality in pull that off. So you would say find a way to move into the top 10 and make it kind of like a salary dump? Uh, not a salary dump because you're still getting better and you're identifying a position of need, And but you're also moving off a guy. Like, who, let's be, like I'm probably the last guy on Gary Harris Island because like the dude just can't stay healthy and he can't hit shots anymore. But when you've had... 24 lower body injuries in four years or whatever it is like at some point you have to cut your losses because guess what you are a championship team like you said Gary Harris undeniably shifted the entire playoff structure for the Nuggets this past season but is there not anybody else you can find in basketball who can fill a defensive specialist role to be able to make that happen for you one who isn't making almost 20 million dollars a year like there has to be something there that can exist to where you can move up and save money and find new ways to get better simultaneously and tim Connolly, you and you and i both know he is creative like that and he will find ways to um, work around the edges to create advantages for his team that's how it's why they've gotten here so uh, that is one thing that I am wondering about. If they can potentially use it to clear a little bit of salary for a player who is helpful for some teams, but not as helpful for Denver while also moving up. It's going to be interesting because uh, as far as my view on the draft, I, I mean, like this draft, I'm like, yeah. Even with it's a, a it's guy, a boring draft. Even with a guy who has a, one of those high floor, low ceiling kind of players, mm-hmm. and those are the players that tend to make an impact as soon as they get into the league, mm-hmm. other than superstars, obviously. Yeah. Um, those guys like, well, you know, can help you, but I don't see a player like that 
being a starter, I guess. I, I, I mean, no, maybe, but, yeah. but that's the thing, though. Like, if Jeremy Grant's back, you don't need a starter. Like, Will or Michael is starting at the three. You already know that you got Jamal. And if Will's not starting at the three, he's going to start at the two. And then you can slide Jeremy Grant in, who is Denver's main priority this offseason. You got Nicola. Like, you're not looking for a starter right now. Because, yep. like, really, who are you going to get? Unless it's Drew, you're not getting anybody. Well, like maybe if, Victor Oladipo is coming off an injury, but like, do you really want to mortgage a lot of assets into a player like that right now? I don't well, really know. Well, may, maybe if you, I mean, looking at it this way, if you, if we're, we're going to like extrapolate upon your uh, theory about using the pick to get off maybe Gary Harris's contract, which is the, the most onerous one, right? Let's, and, and it's nothing against Gary it has everything to do with his injuries. Yeah, exactly. And his availability. Um, and what was it Dan Reeves used to say about the Broncos? You can't make the club in the tub, right? (laughs) (laughs) So so (laughs) I think there is a little bit of that with Gary and I like Gary a lot. He's been, I know him since his rookie year. I mean, I've been Mm -hmm. here since, you know, since for, since he got here. His rookie year was my rookie year. So like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know, I know this man and I know that what he has gone through. Um, but he also makes 18 million a year as you put out. And it's not just this year. He's not expiring. It's yeah, next year next as well. Year and that is the one when you're looking at, say, like if the Nuggets can get off that deal and bring back some sort of crap guy they can mm-hmm. cut or whatever. Um, no players to move up. Yeah. Crap. I mean, I shouldn't say that. But, <laughs> uh, but to be fair, but maybe. <laughs> Maybe you could do that. I mean, okay, you're talking me into this. You're talking to me. And again, I'm not saying this is the right decision. This is just another one on the board that Denver could potentially play with. And again, this draft is full of players that Connolly is going to fucking love. Sorry if I can't cuss on this podcast. You know me. It comes out too quickly. No, no, no. I I, I cuss all the time on this. Okay. Okay. Tim Connolly is – I'm sure Tim adores this draft. It is full of guys who are role players, high intangible, high character, ready to do whatever they can to help their team win, fill a particular role, high IQ. And when you have a lot of those guys, front offices like Denver's, who are not only aligned top to bottom in terms of how they make their decisions, but their perspective of the future of the team also walks in lockstep, that is so helpful in a draft like this when you have a talent evaluator like Tim Connolly at the helm. Like, this is a draft Denver should kill. Absolutely unequivocally. I've been saying this for 18 months now. This is the kind of draft that separates smart front offices from dumb front offices. And Tim Connolly is absolutely an intelligent individual when it comes to the scouting circuit and he knows these guys and, yes. the, and the other thing too the nba there they can't know these guys anymore we're talking 18 months of scouting these guys now i understand that they can't talk to him in person I'm not saying that but in terms of the ability to watch what they can do on a basketball court they can't really be more caught up than they are right now they've had 18 months to do so right and i okay let me let me backtrack a little and again get a double dual perspective from you Right. Um, if you are TJ McBride, uh, general manager of the Denver Nuggets, oh, God, uh, <laughs> Twitter you... cries and you just... <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, would you do say? Uh, okay, would you this way? What would you pick at twenty-two, and what would you do if they moved into the top ten? Two different players. So the hard thing about twenty-two is that 
you ask 10 teams who they think will end up being drafted at 15 and all 10 will give you a different player. Like literally 10 through 22 are interchangeable. Yeah. You have no idea who That's might potentially fall in there. Yeah. So Jalen Smith is my guy at 22. I am all in on the idea of Jalen Smith. Um, very similar to the, to the dimensions of Serge Ibaka. Also extremely powerful in terms of explosion and athleticism. Wow. He's like an old school two foot Sean Kemp kind of jumper. Like okay. he just wants to obliterate everything below him when he when he leaves the ground and because of that yes this is a guy that you would love because not only that his hips are loose so he's able to defend on the perimeter when he gets switched out so he could actually contain and because of that he can play four and five and he can protect the rim so that's my guy you might say his hips don't lie his hips do not lie, Jeffrey. <laughs> Shakira is just somewhere proud. One tear streaming down her face that finally her ability to inch ingratiate herself into the NBA has been fulfilled. And here she is in so Jalen's form coming into the draft from, from Maryland because apparently that's where the hips don't lie. So. <laughs> but honestly, Jeff, this kid is good. He's young too. Okay. And on top of that, Developing three-point shot, smart passer, doesn't make mistakes. So it's not just that his floor is high. There's a lot of players in this draft where their floor is high. There's also a handful of guys where their ceilings are much higher than you would expect. Yeah. So he could be an offensive Montrez Harrell while bringing the shot blocking of a Serge Ibaka in time. Like, that's a very realistic outcome for a guy like Jalen Green. So that's, that's my guy at 22. Unquestioned. I absolutely adore Jalen Green at 22. Okay, Jalen Green, 22. Um, Jalen Smith, of, sorry. Jalen J- Smith. I was Jaylen, doing 2021-22 draft before I got it, the podcast it, it's fine. with you. That's fine. Jalen <laughs> Smith. Jalen Smith. Uh, okay, so would you consider like players like Tyler Bay or Isaiah Stewart and like all of those just they're just guys like yeah. I, I'm, I'm not looking for a Derek Favors in the 2020 NBA draft like I'm just not yeah. you know what I mean um, so that's where I kind of fall on guys like that sure there's some guys you can swing for like maybe like Tyrese Halliburton is a guy you want to look at if the Monte Morris extension isn't going well like maybe you want to go look at Honestly, Tyler Bay wouldn't be a terrible idea, but he doesn't have a three-point shot yet, so I'm not comfortable with bringing in a big who doesn't shoot right now because that mm. unlocks Jokic so much to have a guy like that. Right. So for me, there's a lot of questions. And to be fair, I'm not that caught up. There is so much less film right now for people like you and I to be oh, able yeah. to utilize that I feel very un- – like I'm, I'm uncertain about – 70% of these guys because they are so hit or miss right now. There's circa, there's Denver Stiffs readers circa 2015 who are screaming at this podcast right now telling me to not like have any advice on a draft pick because of my love of Mario. Winslow? Oh. No, Mario Hazonia. I'm on still on the Hazonia Island. All right. He helped Portland last year. I'm not getting off of this. All right, Croatian Kobe will live forever, and I'm not getting off of this. Talk about irrational confidence. <laughs> love it, man. I love yeah. it. When he never... was playing overseas before coming to the States, he would just try and dunk on everybody. Only like 30% of them went down, but he tried 100% of the time. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that was my – that was I wrote a long, like a 2,000-word – 2,200-word article on 
uh, Mario Hazonia and why the Nuggets should take him at seven. And he was taken, I think, at five by the, the Magic. But it was like this whole thing. And then after that, after you know, like a couple of years where it would look like, hey, he's not doing that well. Doing absolutely um, nothing is what he was doing. <laughs> yes. I, I said, that's the last time I do this. I obviously have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just going to like leave it to the experts. So say the Nuggets trade into the top 10, and I think there's one particular team they could probably do it with. Who are you thinking? Uh, Chicago. Chicago, I don't think will happen. But that has only been there for, right? But so that, mm-hmm. that, that is only because I think you could, you could get Arturus, Who could Gary Harris. You can get in Gary Harris and convince him that that would be that. Honestly, uh, I think he's got better deals with teams trading back to mm-hmm. Chicago. I think uh, from what I'm hearing, the, there could be potential suitors to trade back in the draft. Um, so, you know, you could have either one of the top three say like, we, we need to get to the fourth pick because we like, you know, insert player. Yeah, that is why it won't happen, though. Everybody wants Chicago's pick right now because they are, they are happy not paying the price to get to the top three and taking whoever falls. Right. And that is going to just be too much for Denver, I think. And I also think that is why Chicago is either going to stay there or move up. I would not be surprised if Chicago eventually folded and put Larry Markin on the table to Golden State to move up and get Lamelo. That would not surprise me at all. Really? Um, no, not even the slightest. I mean, Lamelo is an Arturis guy. He doesn't have the decision making yet, but that kind of a magical passer who just understands the game at like a subatomic level deep in his DNA, like mm-hmm. the guy is built to play beautiful basketball. And yeah. Arturis is going to love that guy. You and I both know that as well as anybody. Yeah. So what I start playing around with more of the top 10, I start looking at number nine with Washington. I wonder if Washington starts thinking about moving that pick if one of their guys gets picked, gets taken away. New York is a guy, I think Denver, or a guy, a team Denver could trade multiple future picks to, also get off a guy and move up in the draft because they have the cap space. He, they're a team that if they don't get Russell Westbrook, you could move Gary Harris to and just get the pick back and send an, a, a future first rounder or a couple second rounders going on to move up in the draft at that point. What so, about, What about Atlanta? I don't know what it's going to take to get to six. That's a lot higher up than eight at New York with a dumb front office. Like, not sorry, Leon Rose is smart. Leon Rose being stuck dealing with Dolan. That's what I'm trying to say here. It has nothing to do with Leon Rose. Um, so I do wonder if if it's going to be that much more difficult to get to six, like you're not getting to six unless you're including the double draft pick, the 2022, 23 pick, you're not getting up there until you include that as Denver. Um, Maybe if you really, really, really believe in whoever you're drafting, you could try and include a guy like Bull Bull, maybe Monte Morris, but again, like that's not enough to get you over the hump to move to six from 22, in my opinion. All right. So, so give me a generic six through 10, uh, a player that that uh, you would target in the top. So 10. I will say I know that that the Nuggets do like R.J. Hampton. Um, there's there is some source of worry about what he could potentially be, but they believe in their player development staff and their ability to get through to guys who have been hard to get through before. But that is not new to the Nuggets. So R.J. Hampton is is the guy that I know the Nuggets like. Um, for me, I, I, Denny Avdija is insane. I, I there's nobody more ready to play two positions in NBA basketball and do everything you need him to do than Denny is right now. Okay. And 
the reason that I am hesitant to bring his name up is because what role does he play? Like Michael Porter Jr. is already here. And if you retain Jeremy Grant, there's just not room for him. Um, With that being said, though, you lose Paul Millsap, potentially. Will Barton moves to shooting guard, and Denny can pick up the combo forward role off of the bench that you can play small with him at four or big with him at three. He can shoot the ball. He's a – his elite skill is his creation ability. He's he's, – imagine if Gallo was a little bit more playmaking as opposed to shooting. They are very similar beyond that. Um, He's more competitive than Gallo. He wants to fight on defense more than Gallo did when he came into the league. But that type of player – is one a Michael Malone player through and through. He yeah. will res- earn the respect of his teammates immediately because he'll fill whatever role it takes. And he's versatile enough to add another jumbo wing to the mix when you get to the playoffs. So like those all hitting all of those things on a draft pick for me is incredibly encouraging. So those are the two guys that I look at RJ Hampton, because I know the Nuggets like him. And then Denny for me, because I just think he fits in the NBA so incredibly well right now. Well, I, that's why I'm glad to have uh, someone like you on because I just, I, even with this, I mean, and you're finding the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that this draft is so even. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, even outside the top five, outside the top, three, yeah. but five for me, but three. And Lonzo, everyone's falling in love with again. So yeah, don't I overthink have, Lonzo. Lonzo's a surefire for me. I have I'm no in. idea. I know. I have no doubt he's going one. I've, I've talked to four teams about Lonzo and all of them are like, he should be a number one pick in this draft and last year's draft potentially. Yeah. Like, that's and how they, high they are. On and all, all of the people that I have, I have interacted with about Lonzo, they say that he's better, better than LaMelo. Excuse me. Not Lonzo. No, Lamello We're talking about Lonzo. LaMelo, yes. not Lonzo. Yes. Let's clarify this. We're yes. not talking about Lonzo. We're talking about LaMelo. They're saying he's better than Lonzo. Yes. Um, and I wouldn't doubt that based on what I've seen. And then, then let me tell you, it's just brief clips I've, I've seen. Um, and and of course, there's a couple of guys, other guys in the top three that you know that that can go. But really, it's just <laughs> it's just it's one of those drafts, and it's not as bad as the 2013 draft, which was historically bad. God, wasn't that when um who was it that went first? It, Anthony Bennett. Anthony Edwards. Anthony Bennett. Bennett. He's not in the league anymore, so I completely forgot what his name was. So. Anthony Bennett went number one, and I'll never forget it. That was the draft. I, I, I was sitting there with Nate Timmons, Benjamin Hawkman, uh, Les Shapiro, and a couple others. And the, the, uh, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers took Anthony Bennett, and we all looked at each yep. other. <laughs> like, yep. What? <laughs> that was, yep. that tells you how the rest of that now Giannis went in that gra- draft okay that was the wasn't he like sixteenth or something like that in that draft yes he was late and he's the basically the only real huge bright side of that draft because you know he's a superstar but he went mm-hmm. really late but most of that draft is like oh my god that you look at that wasn't lottery, that the Fournier draft as well no Fournier was uh, two thousand twelve oh okay Let's see and that was like that year. was a that was a good draft I think that was the draft with Paul George. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Paul George was 2011. Oh, nine. No, was it? Oh, yeah, you're right. It was 11. You're, you're right. It was 11. You're right. And so was Kawhi. That was the Kawhi and uh, Paul George draft. 2011. 2012 was, I think, was a pretty good draft too. But anyway, um, that was. <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget it. That was one of the more surreal moments in my time covering this, of uh, the league was was watching, uh, the the Cavs take Anthony Bennett, and everyone's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was so lost. Um, with I do want to rant for a quick second, if you if you will allow right me ahead. on your podcast. Right ahead. 
LaMelo is so much more prepared for the NBA basketball than his brother ever was, even yes. with the UCLA experience that his brother had. So Lonzo's shot was twice as funky as LaMelo's is right now. Like it wasn't even close. Yeah. So the idea that he was ever going to translate like how he shot at UCLA to the NBA was always a farce. In addition to that, Lonzo did not have the handle. So all of that incredible passing and vision and the ability to find guys, it didn't matter because he couldn't break a defense down. Okay. So LaMelo coming into the league is bigger than Lonzo was when he entered the league. He is also much, much, much more savvy with the ball in his hands. Like he is one of the most creative dribblers I've seen in a really long time at right. this stage. So that then allows him to break down a defense without a screen, even without being an elite athlete. So then all of the playmaking is actually suddenly usable. And the, this is the biggest thing. The touch on his shot is not even close. Like they're like polar opposites. LaMelo will hit literal three-point floaters. Like, that's how good his touch is. They're, it's not a good shot. I'm not advocating for three-point floaters in the NBA here. But it's, it's representative of how good his shooting touch really is with the basketball. Right. All of his percentages come down to decision-making when he was playing for a terrible team in, in Australia. The Illawarra Hawks are the worst team in the NBL. So, like, they, he, didn't, he had unathletic bigs around him, no three-point shooting, and no one else who can create. So he had to take a lot of terrible shots in Australia. I had heard he was significantly better in terms of being coached in Australia. He has already played against grown-ass men who are 28 years old and 240 pounds. And he, on everything that we had experienced, expected to translate did so he in my opinion is significantly further along than his brother was when he entered the league well i'll never forget De'Aaron fox destroying lonzo ball in uh (laughs) was that the summer league game no 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 no, it was a tournament because he ducked him for like literally three years after that yeah it was it was that's to craig vice on Twitter. But Lonzo actually would work really well on this Nuggets team in a certain extent just because of the way he plays. Lamella would work better. But, but well of course, but he's a better player. But I, I, yeah. I think I think I think where we're we're at right now and, and and I'm glad you did that rant there because it's you know I, I like learning and that's one of the reasons why I have you on this podcast because I'd like to learn about this shit. Because I, I will never pay attention to it. Uh, my my patience for it is like None. Um, So let's, let's kind of extrapolate this. This is happening in what it is the 12th today. So 10 days. No, 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 we got eight days. Six. I thought it was 18th. It's the 18th. That's six days from now. I was the 12th. I was the 10th. This is where, what is time in the era of COVID-19? I don't even know what day it is, Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You took a nap. So that's why, that's why you did. And I don't take naps. (laughs) This is weird for me. Well, but we, now I'm very curious about about a couple things. I have pretty solid opinions about things, as you know. You don't say. You're an opinionated individual, Jeffrey. I am. I am, and that's why I have a podcast. <laughs> and I, going into free agency, uh, you and I have talked about this privately. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think the Nuggets will have a cap on what they're willing to spend for Jeremy Grant. Uh, I don't think he will go. I think it'll, I do not think it'll get there. I do. I think that Jeremy Grant will come in at max 15 per, but that's just my, my, that's just you. (laughs) If he, if he, if he gets to 18, I think the nuggets are fools, but I, I, that's just, that's, that's, I've said this before. 
and I've been wrong. Before. We've argued about this before between you and I already. So. <laughs> but people don't understand this. And I think I'd like you to reiterate what I've been trying to explain to people. And I explained this on my last podcast, but it, 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 it helps coming from someone else. The Nuggets uh, cap space, uh, like with Paul Millsap's contract coming off the box, is going uh, the books is going to be eaten up by by Jamal Murray's contract because it's not yeah. going to come into effect right now. Yeah. So he will be eating of all but three million of nine million, nine million. They're at one hundred and one million dollars with everybody guaranteed that they have on their roster. One hundred and one point seven million, I believe, is the, is the exact right. number. No, but I was talking about like Paul Mill, Paul Millsap's thirty. I think he, I think Jamal gets twenty seven this next mm-hmm. year. Uh, so he'll eat up that thirty million all but three million of that three million so they only have three million left over from that that's not Um, quite how the math works because the cap did shift a little bit this year they they have nine million dollars in room what is uh what was it last year i think i thought it was the 109 million last year too yes but also they have other money coming off in smaller contracts like noah von lays an unrestricted free agent and things like that there's other money coming no 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 i was just talking that they have nine million total yeah no i was just talking about not in general just talking about the 30 million that people are talking about oh i'm sorry yes all but three million of that will is going to be eaten Mm. up by jamal murray Yes. Um, so obviously it's not the boondoggle that people thought it was. And yes. that's because people don't have no concept of the cap. Um, <laughs> to be fair, it's a confusing as shit thing. Well, so what, what do they say about uh, the NBA? Uh, nothing but attorneys. That's why things are so, <laughs> <laughs> that is why things are so complicated. It's like <laughs> German bureaucracy <laughs> of a freaking sports league. Everything. <laughs> Another clause has another clause to it, and it's that's yes. the way things are. Written. You're amending amendments at this point, yes, hundred percent, right. right? So, and the, like, I want you to you could kind of inform the uh, Morecast slash CSG peeps about um, about the going into free agency this year and how like the Nuggets aren't exactly uh, going to have a ton of money. They're in okay shape, but they're not going to have a ton of money to just throw around to free agents. Yeah, they won't be able to identify a free agent who is going to cost more than the mid-level and sign them. That is the general rule right now for Nuggets fans to work with. And the mid-level exception is going to be about $9.6 million per year. So you're not paying anybody over $10 million a year in free agency in terms of using the salary cap. It is impossible for the Nuggets unless they make dramatic moves to open that space. So the question then becomes, how can they address their team? What can they do to be able to add new players or re-sign old, whatever they can do? They can bring back everybody. I asked Tim Connolly during his end-of-season press conference his level of faith that they would go into the tax, and he said straight up that they want to bring everybody back. And I know I said they only had $9 million in cap space, but that doesn't matter when you have their bird rights. The Nuggets have the early bird rights for every single one of their players, which allows them to pay them over the, the cap or into the tax for, right. whatever, for whatever number they deem fit. So they do not, they're not constricted in retaining their own guys they're only restricted in finding other players so when it comes to the other players they have their mid-level exception which is that 9.6 million dollars a year they also have their biannual exception which is a little under 4 million i think it's like 3.6 but i don't quote me on that it might be 3.9 so 
Those are the two real avenues to being able to sign impactful players. You can still get guys on veteran minimums. You can still go sign guys to another two-way because they have an open two-way contract slot and you're going to have your first round pick. So there's other places that players are going to be able to come in from. So when you start looking at who could they sign with the mid-level of the biannual exception, my idealistic situation for the Nuggets for their offseason would be retain Jeremy Grant, use your cap space and bird rights to get him. Um, You're not going to have enough cap space to really sign anybody so the timing of it is going to almost hinder you more than it helps you right you could in theory just try and sign jeremy grant last and use the mid-level last and use the biannual exception last and try desperately to find a player with that nine million dollars of cap space but then you're putting yourself at risk of losing the other players who are now waiting for you to sign them so that becomes tricky very very tricky so my idealistic offseason would be retain jeremy grant right away do not play games do not let him walk do not mess around if it takes 18 million, you pay him 18 million because there's so few players in basketball who can defend five positions, block shots, and hit threes. It just, you don't find players like that. Right. So you pay him what it takes, and then you start looking at the mid level. You start right. wondering, well, who can I find? My guy is Danilo Gallinari. If you can convince him to come to a contending team, take a bench role to back up Michael Porter Jr. and help him on his trajectory and to be the safeguard if Porter gets hurt or has a very bad stretch of games or in the playoffs to play alongside him as another jumbo wing who can create offense, that is the perfect scenario in my brain. Plus, Gallo lives in Denver. He is always training with Steve Hess, the Nuggets, former strength and conditioning coach who left on his own volition and he adores the city. So Gallo's my guy at the mid-level full stop. I um, yeah, I agree. I agree. As everyone knows, Gallo's been my guy, but I do, uh, but it is, I agree with that. I don't. Did you listen to his podcast with George Carl? I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. I haven't listened to a podcast in a long time. It's been all music as I try and keep my sanity within my brain. I thought thought that you listened to CSG and my schizophrenic podcasts every day. And uh, I sit here and rock back and forth, bored out of my mind listening to music because I literally don't know how to function otherwise. So (laughs) anyway, it is George Carl podcast with Gallo. He talked about uh, how there was this, George said, you're going to love Denver and Gallo and didn't know anything about the city when he got here. And then he got here and he agreed and uh, made his home here. And I've told people this for the last three years since Gallo left. I said, I see his mom all the time. Uh, he He is a presence in this city. He has not left. He loves literally loves the city of Denver. Yeah. This is his home. This is his second home outside of Italy. Uh, and even when he was with the Clippers, people thought that with the, with the Clippers that he would just love living in LA. Didn't keep a home in LA, stayed in Denver. And he doesn't I re- like the attention. This is one point right. that I want to make. He, this is why he left Italy. He doesn't want to be the Michael Jordan of Italy. He right. wants to just be a person. And Denver is so perfect for that. So that's, sorry, didn't mean the to interrupt. Funniest, I just wanted to throw that in there. The funniest Gallo quote I ever heard. When this, is, this is like going back. This is going back to 2012. Like nine. <laughs> I, the funniest Gallo quote was like the, he's, he was talking about the women in Denver. And he says, they want to fall in love with you. Yeah. And, uh, which 
which had a whole bunch of different connotations about what he was actually talking about at the time. Yeah. Right. But he's got a kid coming. Yes. And he is now like wanting to settle down. If the Nuggets were interested in bringing back a guy who gave a lot to this team, including a couple ligaments, um, they would be probably rewarded with someone who would just like never want to leave. And that's really what, yeah. what it would truly would be. I don't know where the Nuggets mindset is on that, but I think that is where, where I would say that. Um, but he is the only free agent that I can think of where I would say this, this is a quote unquote free agent that the Nuggets need to get. Outside of that, it's all trades. It's all, they would have, the Nuggets would have to trade. I got one more name, especially mm. on the wing that I find that is going to be Wait a very underrated name, Justin Holiday. Oh, One, okay. because, of course, everyone wants Drew in Denver, and having his brother does not hurt your situation in that regard. But mm-hmm. Justin Holiday shot 42% from three this year. He's six foot eight with a seven-foot wingspan and defends three positions. Right. Like, just getting a guy like that, the mid-level's a win for any team, especially if you're working for the playoffs. So I, I wanted to include him because I do think that he is somebody who would help any team because of the skill set that he possesses. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting. There's some bigs out there, too. There's, like, Myers Leonard would be a nice backup center here. Tristan Thompson. Um, there's a couple guys that are way cheaper that aren't like the mid-level kind of player right, who right. you can help in free agency because like that's again we start getting a little bit deeper into this idealistic free agency for the nuggets you would re-sign paul Millsap to the biannual exception just here's your two years eight million whatever the hell it is and you go get a guy like tristan thompson or myers leonard to spread the floor off the bench as your backup center and you can just run it at that point you have the coverage to be able to do whatever you need to do at that point and the versatility so well, there are some bigs in the draft yeah. or in the free agency market. Well, it would, it's going to be interesting to look at because that, that happens literally right after the draft. It's this so is going fast. to be nuts. Absolutely Two days, nuts. 48 hours from the end of the draft, yeah. we literally jump into free agency with the moratorium open. So trades are going to be happening throughout this entire process until it opens. Oh my, I just, it's absolutely insane. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. And uh, when I come back, I'll talk about DraftKings. And we're back. Sunday will be a true Sunday like no other, because those of you who are golf fans will know that the Masters is on right now. The Masters. A tradition like, unlike any other. The Masters. Uh, with this weekend's major golf tournament, both pro- uh, both professional and collegiate <laughs> football, there will be no shortage of action. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, wants you to put you into the center of action with so many different ways to make it rain. And R- rain is spelled R-E-I-G-N for those of you who don't know. Uh, if you haven't tried the app yet, head on over to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. To celebrate Sunday's action, uh, DraftKings is ensuring all new ensuring all new users are covered up to one hundred dollars. Now, this always throws me because uh, when I'm thinking of ensuring, I don't think of it spelled with an I, which is a completely different meaning. But they this are is meaning insure like yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not that, Jeff. This no, is no, no. This is this is insure. I N. Yes. This is insuring. Not E N. No, not E N. Um, that's right. You bet they cover with free with risk-free Sunday betting on all of Sunday's action. This weekend, there's plenty of action to get in on, so head on over to the app now and start making it rain. Once again, rain is spelled R-E-I-G-N. Uh, 
Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up and get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is insuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code MHS during sign-up. For limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, TJ McBride. Uh, this is the section of the show where we're just going to find out about old TJ. This is going to be like the interrogation with the lamp in my face and everything. <laughs> like, I'm not ready for this. No, this is going to be this like happened more... to me before, and I was traumatized by the event. So this... let's keep the flashlights out of my face, please. This is going to be more like uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved. Um, we, are, <laughs> we, we, oh, God. we are we are just all we're here talking about is like tj have tj and i have something in common is that tj grew up in uh la la land la and <laughs> i uh, that. i lived there for a year when i was a teenager um what part of la did you uh spend the most time in Watts, so it's Watts. considered Butterville. So I would not call it La La Land. It's a little bit of a deviation from the movie and all of the beautiful colors and singing. <laughs> right <laughs> at the same time, yeah, that's that's where I was at. It was around 90th and Zamora. So you, uh, when, when were you? You're 27, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so you. God, were... I'm officially late 20s, and I can't escape it anymore. God, you were born in 93. Okay, that's when yes, I, I lived. Was. That is. <laughs> <laughs> Let's draw Jeff, some. Why are you doing this to yourself? We're draw some correlations here. That's when I lived in LA. It was 1993, and uh, I lived in well, I say LA, but I lived in Corona. That's right. not no, no, no. We're we're going to set this right. I now. was in the valley. Riverside okay, I was in the is valley. not LA. Corona is not LA. No, 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 no. We're not doing it. We're and not we, doing it. And we would <laughs> we would go down to uh, Newport Beach. And also uh, barely not not <laughs> LA. <laughs> we were we were in in the inland empire. Okay, is what they there you go. The inland there empire. you go. And uh, the my my first greeting with being in LA, and this is one hundred percent a true story. It's the first time I've told it on this podcast. Is that I was walking to Target. There was a Target that was near our house, which every house in this neighborhood had a pool, which was uh, for someone coming no, from Cal- every house, poor or <laughs> rich in California somehow has a pool. So this yes. is not, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yes, so it's coming, I, I, yes, this is a thing. Coming from Denver, where, you know, look, like we, we actually have winter here. So there was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there was like no concept. I'll never forget walking to Colorado and being like, wait, all of school's inside? Like, there's not, like, you don't just, like, walk to a different building? Like, what is this? I've got a story <laughs> about that. But anyway, because uh, I went to Norco High School. Okay. <laughs> oh. Norco. Uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, we, we uh, I'm walking to Target, and I have no concept, because this is, a, it's just me, 15-year-old teenager. I got hair down, you know, halfway to my navel, and... <laughs> I look up and there's this, I just felt this thing go right by my, like, like, I don't know if it was right by my face, but it felt like it. Mm -hmm. And I looked up and there was some guy wearing plaid who had a do rag running away from me. Mm -hmm. And I, to this day, I am convinced someone shot at me. 
Yeah, or shot near you, which is yes. a very different thing. Which was like, a, which, which I think it was like a warning, <laughs> like it was part of that thing. And that's what, and I was just walking to Target, mm-hmm. and that, that 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 was like, oh, that's never happened to me in Denver, and but that wasn't representative of of what LA is because LA is a very rich, culturally diverse area. Mm-hmm. And that was very segregated. We got to be very honest about Los Angeles. It's so extremely segregated. Like I will never forget first seeing Rodeo Drive. And like you walk up and there's like, just like the amount of wealth like stinks in the air. Like it's just absurd how much money exists there. You walk three blocks towards Wilshire and everything changes. Mm. Like the, the, the shift in Los Angeles is so jarring when you haven't been there and don't understand where you're walking because you can go literally one block and you can go from filthy, filthy, filthy rich to like, my life is in danger right now. Right. And the, the, it's such a dick. I always tell people who move to Los Angeles, it's going to try and kill you for two years. And what if you can get through the two years of trying to get killed by Los Angeles, it gives you everything back you could ever hope for. Like right. the, uh, the opportunities are just so plentiful out there, but there, it's such a different life it's such a different environment like it is truly an unpredictable you enter you survive you die kind of world and there's something kind of like brutalistically beautiful about los angeles for that right. same reason i love new york like i love just you know we go all out period here and right. that's how we do things and that's very much so los angeles well i i was living out there and you were born the year that michael jordan <laughs> retired yes. the first year the first time yes and one thing i noticed about la sports talk and this is there was about eight different sports talk t- stations mm-hmm. uh, out there, and there was one that I actually got uh, from San Diego. There was a San Diego sports station that would that we could listen to in, in in LA. And one thing I will always remember is that they never talked about the Raiders. They never, never talked about the Raiders. They never talked about the Rams. They focused almost entirely on the Lakers, and the Lakers at that time were not very good. And that was a revelation to me coming from Colorado where they all they talked about was the Broncos. I have a perspective on this. Right. For me, um, identifying as a Los Angeles Raiders fan affiliated you with the ghetto. So it became a right. racial thing. Right. Um, and that was one of the biggest issues with the Los Angeles Raiders had was that like you saw NWA embodying this Oakland Ra- or Los Angeles Raider culture of like, we don't give a shit. We are here to do whatever we want to do and we don't care who's going to try and stop us. Right. And when you get to these kinds of points that these environments push you to, that's a very understandable reaction to the world. But the Raiders in Los Angeles became connotated with gang culture and became connotated with the ghetto and became connotated with a lot of racial stereotypes that existed. Well, the Lakers were, you're the rich white person courtside. And that was always the thing. Like I had gone, like I grew up a Raiders fan. I had not gone to a Lakers game until I had grown up because it was way too expensive. Like there was oh, yeah. no chance I was going oh, yeah. to a Lakers game, but like Raiders games in LA, like my family was going long ago because it was just a whole different environment. Like they didn't treat the teams the same in terms of the local environment. Well, especially where the Coliseum is, right? That is a, <laughs> yes. That is that, always that too. That is yes. a different, that is a different area of, of LA. USC is weird because it's like the richest school in the world. Mm-hmm. And then it's literally dropped in the middle of the ghetto. The best like it is film the school most in the world. 
Yeah. The best film school in the world is is USC. not even close. Not even close. It is it is one hundred percent the best film school. And in the world. not just not just film school. Everything related to film, musical right. film. Like when you right. talk about building and composing art for these actual films and cinematography, like right. the dancing behind it, the actual like um, the theater itself, as opposed to just these commercial movies that we're seeing. Like right. the the amount of film that exists in Los Angeles, especially at USC, is just it's mesmerizing. Oh, it's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. And I didn't had no concept of it until I moved out there. And like I said, I was out there for a year and um, went to uh, bridged two of my uh, high school years with it. And when I went to Norco high school and it was, and that was an, a revelation to me because uh, I obviously everything is inside in Colorado and yeah. everything is outside in Los mm-hmm. Angeles or the, the Inland Empire. And like to make this clear, like you're not just walking out of your classroom into a hallway, which is its own building. I'm talking about walking out of your classroom to outside. outside. Like it is literally right. everything exists outside except for the classrooms. There are no hallways inside. Right. And let me, let me just kind of uh, give some people some perspective. When I was in junior high school out here in Denver, it was like a typical high school where you would see it in every everywheresville America, right? Mm-hmm. I go to, to Norco High School. I walk out, <laughs> and first of all, there was this giant chain uh, – not chain link. It was this uh, iron bars that were surrounded the high school, and there was a security team that was walking the perimeter of it, and they had guns. And I yeah. was like – Oh my God, what the hell is happening here? And it was actually, actually, I didn't have any issue with going to high school there. I never had felt any problems, but it was, it was weird. And 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 later I found out that Norco high school was notoriously gang affiliated. Gang yes. Affiliated. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I never had, I had no yeah. concept of it. I actually had fun, but inside, and then people need to understand this. They had little stands like what, what would remount re- to small, uh, like hot dog stands, but they were like mm-hmm. vendors. So they had Taco Bell, they had McDonald's, mm-hmm. they had all the fast food restaurants inside this a fortified area where security guards were patrolling it. It was the most surreal thing. I'd never seen that before coming from Colorado, right? So my perspective was the opposite because I started with that circumstance. Like it was always like that for me going to school. Then I came to Colorado and don't get me wrong. Like this is after Columbine. There's a lot of like concern about the school safety. And I came in like, yeah, there was like compliance officers with guns and people were like, doesn't that make you nervous? And I was like, no like (laughs) this is very much so not what i am used to this is like the lightest version like literally like literally and metaphorically the lightest i have ever seen anything in my life so it was bizarre it was truly bizarre to go the opposite direction so i couldn't imagine from your perspective to go from something that was more tidy because denver is just more tidy it's just this less going on it's easier to have these kinds of things exist to los angeles which is just so overwhelming it's so complex i I grew up in arvana all right i went to you know i I start i went to to Oberon Junior High School up there in Colorado in, in Arvada. I you know I was gonna go to Arvada West. And it was a lot different. So you you if someone asks TJ McBride 2020, uh, would you consider yourself a Californian or a Coloradan? 
No, I'm from from LA. Full stop. From LA. So, no discussion to have about that. Okay, and then then there's a because I knew this, but I there's a reason I wanted to bring that up because for about eight years of my life, no, not less than that, seven and seven years of my life, uh, I actually we went from California to Grand Junction, Colorado, right, which is Mm -hmm. going from Denver to huge city Los Angeles to Western nothing small town Colorado like population right? 800 kind of place yeah I was 16 years old and all this stuff and I, I spontaneously combusted yes and I I the guys I do my um, uh, Gen X music show with uh, I met all in Grand Junction some of the greatest most cultured people I've ever met however they were the exception to that situation right there if people would ask me Jeff who are where did you grow up I said Denver one hundred percent. You know, I spent the first fifteen years of my life in Denver, and then I moved back out here when I was twenty-three, and uh, spent the rest of my time here. I have spent m- the majority of my life in Denver. Uh, I am a Denverite, um, but you and I've noticed this uh, about you in the time I've known you. You consider yourself a Californian. You consider yourself a Southern Californian, I should say like that. Los Angeles, but like specifically, yeah, like it's a difference in that in that area for sure. Is there something specifically when you look at your time there uh, that has like imprinted itself on you as as someone who is a, an adult of twenty seven years old now? Yes. Um... At risk of getting too real on this podcast, there is absolutely a lot of things. So for all me, the real, all the real, it was incredibly dangerous where I lived. Like there aren't places right. you can go and feel safe. Right. And for me, I had never grown up with that feeling of safety before. I found that on the Crenshaw basketball courts in Watts. Like I, I don't know what it was. It it connected with me. There was something about this collective love of a game that eliminated all affiliation in that type of of an environment that like it grabbed hold of me. It's why I love basketball to this day. It's why I want to scout. Like I would love to scout to help these people in these environments, find their own pathway to success. Like I was so lucky to be able to do myself. So that's my perspective on this. That's why I'm so proud of where I came from because it did try and kill me. And I came out the other side to where nothing can touch me at this point. Like I had worked for this level of indestructibleness because I had put myself in one of the most um, dangerous places in America, to be fair. And it's for that, that there's there's a sense of pride. I will never let go of like, I don't care if I'm in Denver for the next 70 years, I'm from Los Angeles. Full stop. And because it, it, that is what built me. And it, and it stamped itself on you, right? It, it is it is yeah. who TJ Well, it is, is me. It's not even just a stamp. Like, that's what people miss. Yeah. It's, it's not even just that. Like, it is like, – it, it, it became the basis of what I built myself upon. And that is something that you can't remove from somebody at that point, in my opinion. So that's always been me. And that's why I am so direct. I'm not passive aggressive. I am here to speak my mind. I don't shy away from things. And it's the same reason why, like, I was able to walk into a professional environment, like covering the NBA and not be intimidated. It's because, like, I went through intimidation on levels that it will always be worse than what the NBA is ever going to throw at me. So, like, those things became my identity and because of that i will always hold on to that over everything else you and 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 i think this is what the this is one of the reasons i wanted to have you on because i 
I think, well, obviously we have this kind of connection with people. I mean, obviously not nearly extent you, mm -hmm. but I do have a experience in the Inland Empire. And I, in fact, I was, mm -hmm. I told this story before, and this will mean nothing to you, but it's illuminated of, of what we're talking about here. Um, there's this, one of my favorite guitar players, maybe my favorite guitar player of all time, is a guy named Mark Ford. And he grew up in uh, L.A. And uh, in 1996, I went to see the Black Crows. He was the guitar player of the Black Crows. Then. Mm -hmm. And um, he was playing at the Ogden. And you've been to the Ogden. You, yes. you know about uh, the – I think it's one of the best venues in Denver to see a concert. Yes. Personally. Very high on my list. Um, and the sound, the musical sound is just so good for a small venue. I'm it's sorry. It's so, just so good. Okay. And it only seats about <laughs> the levels always fuck up at small, at small venues. Like they right. never have audio techs who know how to handle that. But God, the octane's always good. And we're going to get into this in a second. But I, 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 I saw him there. One of the best concerts, maybe the best concert I've ever seen. But I'm, I'm biased because I love the Black Girls. And I <laughs> interviewed Steve Gorman on this podcast. But uh i hung around outside and if anyone's been to the ogden it's on colfax so it's and colfax in 1996 was not a great place <laughs> it's a little different than it is nowadays right so i'm <laughs> i'm hanging around and uh i go around and i see mark ford uh, sitting against uh leaning against the wall uh outside the ogden smoking a cigarette with like there was about like three or four crew members there they were huge they were all like tall as trees um, so I, I steeled myself and I went over and they were like about to block me from going over. And I said, look, I just wanted to say how much I love Mark and stuff like that. And they said, well, okay, you do this here. And I like said, Mark, you are, you know, I, I, I love the show. It was a great show and uh, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you look kind of depressed. And, and anyone, any Black Crows fan knows the context here. He was deep into drugs yeah. at the time and not having a great time in his life. And he kind of mumbled, you know, oh, thank you, man. And then I said, I lived in California uh, for about a year. And it was immediately he perked up mm -hmm. because that's where he grew up. And I was able to have like, I don't know, it, it, it did seem long, but it probably was like a two minute conversation with him just on based on the fact that we both had time in, in California. And he lived, he grew up in uh, Laguna. And oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we, we, we would be able to talk and we'd be able to relate with, to each other on that level. And it was a nice little moment for me because uh, Mark Ford's my favorite guitar player of all time. Mm -hmm. And I, I was able to, to do, have this moment just because I had spent some time in California, right? The pride <laughs> that you carry with you when you come out. But again, like you have to fight for what you want in California. Right. Like nothing unless you're filthy rich and privilege is handed to you. Nothing. So that that becomes something that like I know for me because like I've put this on Twitter before I, I know that you know this I deal with depression and anxiety myself this has always been a part of like my own personal struggle one of the few things that I can always hold on to is like a rock of sorts is like I'm from fucking Los Angeles like nothing is gonna stop me because nothing has and I've put myself in front of everything and like that's one thing I've realized being in Denver and talking to other people who are also from California that sense of um i don't care i'm going to make it work the uh the relentlessness that's the term i'm looking for the relentlessness that you develop it becomes such a kindred spirit in people and you can finally have that again because it's so rare to find like i meet 
one person a month when it's not coronavirus who understands the way that I think and the way that I approach things and the relent- and like that relentlessness that like I instilled in myself from the very, very beginning because it's so rare. So when you find someone like that, someone who might even just barely understand, it's exciting. Like right. you find that extra level of, of – um, of connectivity with somebody that you wouldn't have had otherwise because it doesn't exist very many places. And it's a hard thing to find, but when you do, man, like there's very few things in this world that are as invigorating as that, in my opinion. Well, it, it's like for me when I, I find someone who understands Denver. Like mm-hmm. they understand what it was like growing up in Denver in the 70s and 80s and someone who understands that it always rained on Halloween and all that stuff. I, that, that is something intrinsic and that you don't find a lot well it's part uh, of your identity it's like, part of convinced. my identity yeah yeah and that alone like being able to build yourself upon a pedestal like that or a, a foundation pedestal makes some of you're higher than people fuck that a foundation like that it, it's so powerful because it's yours right. because it's you and it's not that you're fabricating somebody else's existence to try and tailor it for yourself you're not trying to pull from other people to better yourself it is you right. and you're proud of it and you live it and that is so Again, invigorating. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like what you're doing is worth a lot of a lot of the effort and the sacrifices that you have made. And again, that that goes back to the LA thing so heavily. Well, I, and that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you about this because it, it, that, that's something that I think that uh, people don't realize that the the, uh, the amount that locations or where you grow up and the, how that impacts and and really imprints the culture of that place into you. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I, I, I came to realize later in life is that I'm Denver and, and Denver is imprinted into me. And uh, whenever someone meet me, meets me, it is this guy's from Denver. Yeah. Um, and this is someone from Denver before it blew up in the 90s and became like a bunch of transplants from California and Texas. Like you know? me! Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. My but, favorite yeah. thing is getting into a lift and they're like, damn it, all these transplants. And I'm like, oh, hey, I'm from California. Hello. It's always <laughs> comedy. I love it. And I steer into the skid as many times as I can. So, oh, so it, No, it's great. And um, I wanted to kind of, before we, before we take off, I'm, I'm, I want to get time to talk to you about music and music venues mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Because both you and I are very, very huge fans of music. Probably mm-hmm. not the same type of music, but music in general. And... Uh, is there a particular since you've been in you know Denver for about you know what 13 14 years now mm-hmm. uh, 11 I don't know Jeff held too long a really long time 2000, <laughs> 2000 I don't remember so I honestly don't remember it was a long time it was August uh, I don't know <laughs> it was August it was raining no uh, um like your time going around and, and, and looking at music, is there mm-hmm. is, and, and I want to get from your perspective as someone who really listens to a lot, is there, is there a scene here at all? No, not that I've found. And there, and there are small pockets. It's not fair to say no as an overarching opinion on everything. There's always small pockets. Like I used to tour manage hardcore metal bands. Like there was a huge hardcore metal core, like, coalition that was built in denver about eight nine years ago so like there are pockets like country music has pockets there's a very 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 small hip-hop pocket that exists in denver but they don't have their own sound i've never seen anything like that before and what's funny is that the venues are incredible everybody comes through colorado so like the like the institution of music exists so wholly here but yet 
there isn't its own sound. Like Austin, Memphis, you know, these smaller cities have their own sound, and I have never seen that in Denver. Is that well, fair to say? Yes. No, I want, I'll give you a theory as to why. It's because Denver had more of an identity prior to the great influx of, of, <laughs> of people who came in. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, like, look, when I was growing up, Denver was a city of about 400,000 people, a mm-hmm. uh, metro area of about, you know, 2 million. Now it is a city that is almost 800,000 people and a uh, city county area and about three to three and a half, almost 4 million yeah. of a metro area it is huge and a lot of that is people who moved in in the late 90s uh who were coming from like texas and california so they brought their own culture with them so that is why you kind of have this muddled thing right see now. no i disagree with this i disagree with this wholeheartedly everywhere you look in these big cities where they have their own sound it was built because they had so many people from different places that right. came together to create a new sound right. that's never happened in denver right. like new york is not new york because new york has always been new york sound new york was in was completely um they were inspired by the jazz of the South. Like this was not a situation as if you have to have your own identity as a sound. It's that you right. take from everybody that comes into your city and you build something new. That is what I mean that I have not seen because yeah. Denver, you know, they have their own things, but that, that, that's where I think that they could, and it just hasn't materialized. And I think what I come back to for this is Denver is very passive as a city it hasn't had to be in your face like i'm not saying this is a bad thing this is not an indictment on the city many people are happy to not have to be confrontational and aggressive every moment of their life but that also does not create inspiration and new types of sounds and music like that like there is a sense that like I only see success when I'm wrestling with doubt as the whole idea of like how a lot of these inspirational music things shift. Like they come from like people being in tough times and Denver is not that environment. So I wonder if how much of that exists in the overall construction of the sound of Denver, but I don't think it's an excuse because they do have plenty of outside influences to change their own perception and make their own sound. I'll tell you this. Uh, the most notable it's in the last 30 years uh, artist to come out of Denver or slash Boulder is Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing Denver loves is jam bands. And that yeah. is such a Denver thing. And <laughs> I, I, I am thinking at this point, it has a lot of it to do with how laid back we are yes. here yes. and how we much, because the black, I mean, the black crows were, became a, rock jam band and they were so big here people love the black crows in this mm-hmm. this city it's the same with uh 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 like i said big head todd widespread panic uh dude the panic shows are nuts out here i've nuts. been to panic shows strange and you- incident Yes. And then you can, yeah, there's, there are so many at this point of like these like jam funk bands that are like folk inspired, but are funk progressive. It's a very unique realm, but again, like that's not their own sound. Like that exists all over the place. Like it's just like altered bluegrass. That's all this is. But they love it. And then that's, I think that's the passion. That's where the passion is. Yeah. Because they people like that sort of thing. Me, God, I, I hate I, string cheese. I, I fucking hate yeah. string cheese. I'm not a jam band fan. I, I like Panic. Know. I'll listen to Widespread Panic because they're you bluesy. Like I yeah. like blues music, yeah. so I'm, if you can get bluesy, I'm 100% there with it. But like when it gets real folk, I get a little bit too out of it for me. The Lumineers. Oh. They get here. The Fray. Uh, Wasn't the Fray from yes, Colorado? The Fray were... Uh, 
Oh, I don't get me started on the phrase. I got to give a shout out to my guy because there is hip hop in Colorado. Clear Soul Forces has a dude from Colorado. The Illis is old school. He's been doing hip hop for a long time and he's from Colorado. Where's Rocky Sats? Okay. Day? Colorado hip hop is basically embodied in a band uh, called Yo Flacco that doesn't exist anymore, I think. Isn't that, weren't, they, weren't they the old short bus crew? They, they uh, no, they, uh, they, they were like. Uh, Put this was like 12 years ago, right? No, yeah, no, no. This is 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, then is, we're talking about someone different. <laughs> yeah, this is 20 years ago. They they did they combined jazz and rap. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is a hundred thousand percent up my wheelhouse. I love yeah, that. Jazz and rap. And you should check out that Skeptimistic is their first album. It's really good. Skeptimistic. Yes. I'm writing and it down. If you can if you can find it, and then there was um, find anything. Uh going at it and stuff like that. But anyway, uh that was Colorado hip hop. That was that was that was that was the embodiment of it, and the Flowbots took took yeah. it and took it into a different like late two thousands late. That was 30s. almost like industrial hip hop though. Like that was yeah. very different from what was going on elsewhere. Yeah, and it was it was it was interesting to to watch it as it unfold, unfolded, um, mm-hmm. and they were interesting. Mm-hmm. I can't say they were substantial. Uh, they were definitely not substantial. Our friend Tim Gilt was very much involved with a uh, hip hop project uh, that came out a couple months ago that was really good. It was mm-hmm. uh, in a be- it was a benefit. He for, sent it to me. Yes, and it was really good. And Tim, if you're listening to this, I loved him. I loved it. Tim, you're my guy. I love you yeah. to death, Tim Gilt. Yes, Tim. I, uh, Tim, I've known for ten years. And First I, I, guy to approve yeah. me for a credential ever. So thank you, Tim Gill. It's the only reason I'm even here right now. <laughs> and Tim is very involved in the Denver hip hop community, and he's also yes. involved in from other things, the national hip hop community as well. Like he yes. was doing PR for Gene Akio, and yes. who's also South South LA represent right there. That's my girl. So <laughs> I love it. it. Makes me happy when I see South Central represented like that. So. <laughs> It's, it totally is, and I, I think we. I think at this point we. That Denver is what it is, uh, and mm-hmm. whether it's your cup of tea or not, it's, it is. I mean, it's whether you want to, and I'm not talking about TJ. I'm talking about just people in general. Yeah. If you don't, if you if you don't like it, you don't like it because it's definitely has its flaws, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. I, I understand what it is, what they are. I like it because I am Denver. But yeah. I and, and I think that that is something that I took me a long time to assimilate into my brain. I am Denver. The um, one thing I oh sorry sorry continue. No, you me. go right ahead. All right. So one thing I've realized for me is being from Los Angeles, that'll always be my home. That'll always be what I claim. But right. when I look at Denver, it's not like if you took Denver and put it on like a page like stats, it doesn't equ- equivalent to me at all. Like we yeah. are very very much so separate. There is no better place in America to end up by accident. Like right. Denver is right. very easy to live. Jobs are easy to find. You got weed, alcohol, Stranahan. Like you got distilleries everywhere. Nothing's crazy expensive. The city is so easy to get around. You don't need a car. Like Denver is a great place for a lot of reasons. It's just not me. Yeah. And that's the only difference. And I know I get a lot of shit because people know I don't like Denver. Like it's just not for me, but it's nothing to do with the city. This is my thing. This is my psychoticness in my own brain. Denver is great on so many levels. And I will always be thankful for my time here. No, you're 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 fine. It's like it's not as if you're going to, it's not as if you're going to like deny that you ever lived in Denver. Like, <laughs> so I'm not I'm I'm not even worried about that. So uh, oh it is it is what it Denver, is. Denver, what is that? 
to start forever pretending like I have no idea what this state is in the middle of the country. Colorado. What the Colorado. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> DJ, thank you for coming in and stepping in on on my emergency uh, podcast here. I appreciate it, and this was a good conversation. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because we wanted to talk about a little something a little deeper than just basketball and uh, and all that. Well, stuff. Well, you got way too much of my life suddenly on a podcast. No, so no it, it was great. So to to play us out um, once oh, again, is it, are we going to get the shared screen? Yeah, we're going to get the shared screen. <laughs> Uh, we have my favorite band. U2. We've been talking about them all night. Oh, it's you too. Yes, and uh, Irish band. You should appreciate them as a I as do. an Irishman. And uh, I found out recently that I'm Scottish. Uh, not Irish. I'm actually Scottish as well, even though the McBride name continued through. So I'm very much so a mutt. So I feel you there. I am Scottish, English, and German. So I'm basically white. <laughs> welcome to the club jeffrey welcome to the club <laughs> just a strep is a white dude man same as too many freaking people in this country so well, what, what, what i'm gonna do is like give us a little time so like here you just type this here yeah see like what we're gonna do is like i'm gonna like watch this like surreal video here that has nothing to do with what the song is actually about, right? So it's every 90s music ever where a music video made absolutely no sense surrounding the music itself. Yeah, and I love this song. This is my ending song now for all the, all the Mortcasts, but it, is, it has nothing to do with the song. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of still pictures of like things happening. I've oh, never seen this before. Also, I can't hear the song, so I hope that your listeners can. Oh, you can? I cannot hear it. No. Oh, you know what I should have done. On that one. How about now? There it is. I'm starting to hear it more as you turn the volume up. Did he just steal that girl? Look at yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. This is weird '90s music video that like makes absolutely <laughs> no sense to the actual song. <laughs> I'm dying at the Reno. Who needs a Reno? This is the most U2 thing of all time. We don't put boards <laughs> in our music video. Reno, I'm like. <laughs> At least, it's, at least it isn't a Peugeot, <laughs> right? We don't want no French cars here. Uh, oh my God! I so love you too. All right. Well, anyway, thank you everyone for joining me today. Uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Bye bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.